0: So, if you're just now uh, joining with us, I want to welcome you to uh, Bethany United Methodist Church and thank you for joining us in worship. Uh, This is uh, Bethany, where we uh, lead people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. And we're glad you're worshiping with us this morning. We, and by the way, as Wynn told you on the side there by your screen, uh, there are some folks who are hosting this, and you can uh, have comments and conversation with them as we move through this. Uh, We're in a series talking about surviving and thriving in the midst of this pandemic. And last week we talked about paying attention uh, to where you're at, being aware of how you were feeling and your sense of loss in the middle of this, and and taking all those uh, feelings, whether they were grief or anger or resentment, uh, but taking all of that and sharing that openly with God, knowing that God was big enough. To, uh, to accept that and to carry it and so to be open with God about that. Uh, this week we're going to talk about living in the in-between, between uh, what is and what's going to be. I'm, I'm already getting people asking me questions about what do I think the new normal is going to be and you've probably seen those conversations going on uh, both on the uh, news feeds and, and on your online in different places. Uh, and, and of course, we don't know what that is yet, so we're, we're in between those two places. And what does it mean to be in that place that isn't what it used to be, but is not yet what it will be? And so how do we, how do we move through that, and how do we understand that and deal with that? I'm going to start with a couple of pieces of Scripture. Uh, one is a very familiar uh, version of Psalm 23, the first couple of verses, that says, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters.'" Oftentimes, when I've read that 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 phrase, "I shall not want," sounds kind of future-oriented, like you know, I'm I'm not going to want in the future. Uh, And it's interesting when you read the New International Version that it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I lack nothing." That's that's present tense. That's the statement about right now and what i want to suggest to you is that part of getting through this in-between time is becoming grounded in that reality that because god is our shepherd i lack nothing let's pray father we ask you to come and be with us this morning as we are between what has been and what will be and surround us in the presence of your spirit uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer, Amen. Now, one of the realities is this: this phrase of you know being in between, uh, to me at least, sounds a lot like waiting, and and waiting is is not something I like or do very well. I am I am not by nature a very patient person, and I really don't like to wait. Uh, many years ago, when Cindy and I were first married, and we were living in Denver, Colorado, uh, and living on very little income. Uh, there was a big sale, I think it was a Kmart that was having a big sale, and Cindy wanted to go there and pick up some of the things we needed, and and I uh, reluctantly agreed to go with her. Now, now, what we did not know then is that Cindy and I have very different ideas about what shopping is. Cindy likes to go in and look around and see things and pick up what she wants I want to go in, get what I need and get out. I mean, I'm 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 on a mission, you know, and, and Cindy's a much more relaxed kind of enjoying it kind of thing. So so we didn't realize it then, but we've learned since then that, that just to start with, when we go into a store together uh, we're going in with very different ideas <laughs> about what we're there to do. But but this was a big sale that was going on. I mean, the place was crowded. There were people everywhere. And, and so, you know, it was hard to get around. It took forever to find what we want. And then when we got to the line to check out, there were 15 or 20 people in front of us in that line. It took us as long to get through the checkout line as it had, had you know, doing all the other shopping we were doing. And we went out to the car and I was frustrated and, and unhappy and angry and And Cindy said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was going to be like that. And I said, no, no. I said, you know, I I agreed to come, you know, and we just, we couldn't have known that, but I, I agreed to do it. But I'm just telling you now, don't ever ask me to do this again. And I, I it, it's, I think it was at least twenty-five or thirty years before we went back into a store like that again with me, uh, because uh, it was it was a negative enough experience. I don't like lines. I don't like waiting. I don't like being stuck there. And you're, some of you are going, yeah, I, yeah you're with me, you know. And it, sometimes it just seems like wherever you're going, there's there, there's a line of people that's you know already in front of you to get in the door, and you're having to wait, and you're thinking about what else you have to do and where else you have to be that day. And if you're trying to go somewhere, especially if you live up north and it's in the winter, you know, you get to the bus stop, there's all these people there. The bus is always late when it's cold. And so you're standing out there in the cold waiting, which is even worse. And if you've tried to go to uh, some professional offices before, maybe you've had the experience of of going in and you're uh, sitting in the waiting room, whether it's a doctor or CPA or whoever it is, and you're waiting and waiting. And, uh, you know, sometimes to me, it begins to feel like it's gone on forever so, you know, I can make about 30 minutes. I can do pretty good. Around an hour, I'm done. And, uh, you know, if it goes much over that, I'm out of there. So, uh, and, and we'll reschedule at some point. So, uh, and we'll discuss this when we reschedule. So I, I, I really, I'm, I'm not very good at waiting. The first or second trip we made into Kenya, uh, we were going to have dinner with some of our folks there, some of the people there that were hosting us that time and uh, at, at the hotel we were staying at. And so we set a time to do that. And I came downstairs and our friends from Kenya were there waiting for us to have dinner. And our team from here uh, was running late. Now, remember, we, we've just gotten there. We're all jet lagged. Uh, but, but nonetheless, I felt bad about that because our, our hosts were already there and we weren't. And so I, I kind of apologized. And I said, I'm sorry, you know, we're jet lagged and we're just kind of running behind. And I apologize for us being late. And one of our hosts said something to me that stuck with me ever since then. He said, well, you know, he says, you don't need to worry about that. He says, you know, we have a saying here in Kenya. He says, uh, we say that Americans have all the watches, but Kenyans have all the time. And that has stuck with me all these years. Americans have all the watches, but Kenyans have all the time. Makes me think maybe our perspective on time is uh, not the best. And maybe we're, maybe we're a little overbearing with this and we're a little preoccupied and, and perhaps a little possessed uh, of that concern with time. Uh, maybe we need to reframe it and, and think of it differently. And so when we come in this time of waiting, maybe instead of thinking, gosh, when is this is going to be over? Maybe we need to develop a sense of expectant waiting. Oh, what's coming? What am I watching for? That there's something coming for us. And I want to invite you to to kind of work on reframing that in you, uh, that sense of expectant waiting, recognizing that the place we're in is uncomfortable, we may not like it, but expectant, waiting for what God's going to do. Psalm 130 kind of captures all of that and pulls that together for us. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Yeah, out of the depths. I mean, there's an honesty to this. Let's Be attentive. I, I'm, I'm crying out to you. The psalmist knows full well, and I encourage you also to cry out. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. At the same time, there's that cry for, for mercy and that, that cry, Lord, we're waiting for you. There's also an, an affirmation of God's goodness. And he goes on, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. As you come into this, you hear that I wait for the Lord. My whole being, everything within me is waiting for God to show up. And, and then there's that next phrase uh, more than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, the, the night watchman on the, the walls of the city or the walls of the compound was there during the night to watch for uh, if someone came to rob the place or if wild animals uh, came to get into the, the flocks. And so the watchman's job was to stay awake through the night and keep alert so that should something happen he could cry out and wake everybody else to come to to help him and those of you who've ever worked a night shift you know around three or four in the morning is really hard to stay awake and alert there's just something about our bodies doesn't like that Uh, and and so you know the watchman is waiting for the sun to come up so he's going to be finished and hopefully with nothing having happened so that he can be done and and go get some rest it's repeated in this, the, the psalmist repeats that phrase, and in these old psalms like this, this form of writing, the repetition of a phrase was a way to give emphasis to it. It's kind of like we would write it, maybe you put two exclamation marks behind it. But he wants us to understand, boy, I, I am waiting for you, Lord, and I'm I, with everything I have, I am I'm waiting for you more than, than, than even a watchman who, who waits for the sun to come up so he can go to bed. I mean, I, I am all on point waiting for you that sense of, of, you know, really eagerness for what's going to come next. Uh, So, you know, I I mean, the psalmist captures that that wonderful sense of uh, waiting with with eagerness, both because I'm uncomfortable where I'm at, but also because I'm eager to see what you're going to do, Lord, and that sense of trust in the midst of that. And I want to invite you to kind of think about that as we talk about this a little more, that what are are you feeling inside of you and what is your sense of trust in God as we are in this time of change? You know, when we talk about going from the old normal to the new normal, uh, about, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, there was a, a language that became very common. It was used a lot in sociology and became very popular called a paradigm shift. Now, paradigm is kind of a mental map of the way things are, the way you understand yourself and, and the world and how all that fits together. And uh, oftentimes when we talk about paradigm shifts, the phrase is used to talk about uh, things that, that come with technology, the different ways we use technology and so forth. Uh, but it can also be a more fundamental kind of change than that, uh, and, and a more uh, struggled of a change than that. Uh, paradigm shift sounds really neat and clean. You know, uh, we come up with a new technology, so we've develop a different way of doing things. But but you also have paradigm shifts on a personal level. Uh, We have them uh, psychologically and emotionally, and we have them in our faith. Uh, The language of developmental psychology has used this for a number of years to talk about the different phases we go through in life and how we change the way we understand who we are and the world around us as we move through life and things happen in our lives. And that language was brought over into uh, our faith, and it's called faith development which is the way our understandings of faith change, both as we mature and as events in life change around us. The problem with paradigm shift is it just sounds very neat and clean, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like, okay, well, this has changed. How am I going to do this now? I mean, it sounds very simple. The truth is what usually happens is it reflects a huge disruption in our lives. Uh, We don't normally make a paradigm shift voluntarily. We make it because the old way of understanding and doing things doesn't work anymore. It's gone away. Um, and we do this in our faith as well as we're moving with our faith. We, we develop ideas about faith and we hold on to those until they, they no longer work for us anymore. And, and then we make a change to something new. Uh, maybe the disruption in your life is uh, because of a death. Uh, maybe someone has cancer and you're walking through that with them. Maybe you've lost your job and now you've lost your house and you're having to figure all that all all over again from where you thought you were. Uh, Maybe you've suffered through a divorce, Uh, all those kinds of events that can hit our lives and disrupt them and change the way we thought things were. And suddenly we're, we're, we're out of our old way of understanding, but we really haven't moved into our new way of understanding yet. Our lives have been disrupted by this change around us Uh, when I was studying uh, faith development and studying under Mary Wilcox who uh, wrote a book called developmental journey uh, we talked and interviewed different people and one of the things we found was that when people were in this period of of disruption between the old paradigm and the new paradigm uh, they would frequently use phrases like I've lost I feel like I've lost my mind or I feel like I've lost my faith I feel like I've lost my mind because my, my old way of understanding things doesn't work anymore, but, but I don't know what my new ways are yet. And so in some very fundamental ways, they, they kind of have lost their minds. Uh, and, and the same thing is true with our faith. Our, our old way of understanding ourselves and God and how we're related and how that works no longer is working for us, but we don't know what the new way is. And so in a very real way, we, we, we've lost our old faith. We just haven't figured out what's going to replace it yet. And so that, that sense of being in between and being in that place where, where we've kind of lost our mind and we lost our faith is very real uh, when you're going through that change. And, and it's not a nice, neat process. It's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable kind of place to be at that time. Uh, if, if you've ever, uh, you know, been hiking and you've come across a suspension bridge like this one of these rope bridges that are comes across a deep ravine and and walks across it you know uh, walking across one of these is is, can be kind of unnerving because you know they move when you walk across them they're not solid and steady but they're moving and we've all seen those movies right you know the movies where somebody goes out on a bridge like this and then one end breaks and it falls so you're walking across that thinking about that as you're going and it's it's unnerving and in some ways, this disruption is like that. You know, you, you, you're crossing over this bridge and, and moving toward the other side of the ravine. And the truth is you're leaving the old behind, uh, moving toward the new. But in the meantime, you're still on this kind of scary, uncomfortable bridge crossing over open space. Now, when we're doing that, there's a couple of things that are very tempting to do when we're in that place where it's so uncomfortable. One is it, it's tempting to go back uh, to what was before, except really you can't do that because that doesn't work anymore. And we'll talk a little more about that next week. The other temptation we'll talk about next week sometimes is to try to figure out ahead of time or to get too quickly to the other side and figure out what that is. Because, you know, when you're on the bridge, all you see is the trees. You don't really know what's in there. But this week, we're talking about being on the bridge, you know, being in that place, just being between what, what has been and what shall be, and feeling like maybe you've kind of lost your mind in the middle of all of this, uh, and maybe you've kind of lost your faith in the middle of all of this, it's uncomfortable, it's frightening, and it's the time that you, know, you need to hear the psalmist most clearly, wait, wait for the Lord, trust in the Lord, and you can long to be on the other side, more than watchmen long for the sun to come up in the morning. But right now, wait for the Lord and be in that place of waiting. It's interesting in Scripture when you read through it, the, the words of encouragement that are there are the, are the examples of encouragement that are there about being in this place. Uh, the psalmist uh, in Psalm 27 says, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?' Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now you know you, know, you don't write words like uh, whom shall I fear and, and of whom shall I be afraid unless you're afraid, right? I mean we don't need encouragement not to be afraid when we're full of courage. We need it when we're afraid. That's that's when we need these words of encouragement. So the psalmist in this Psalm twenty seven is writing to us and saying, you know, don't 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 be afraid because you know God is the one that's going to be with us. Be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord, trust in God, even when you're in that place that's frightening and and anxiety-producing. Lift that up to God, share that with God, and wait for what God is going to do. In Psalm 37, uh, the psalmist reminds us that that even in those times when life is difficult, uh, God calls us to remain faithful and to put one foot in front of the other to keep walking across that space. Uh, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. You know, e- even in these times when life is difficult and life is hard, don't be envious of folks who seem to have it easier than you. Uh, don't fret over folks that you don't think are as deserving that maybe are coming through it better than you are. Uh, continue to, to, to trust in God and to serve God and to put one foot in the other in that kind of confidence and to walk in the presence of God, trusting that eventually God's going to lead you through this And there will be a time when it will be better. You simply have to walk in that kind of confidence. Um, Our friend Job that we met last week, uh, who suffers overwhelming loss, he's sometimes called the story of us all because Job in a day experiences the kind of loss that most of us will experience over the course of a lifetime. Uh, He loses his wife, he loses his children, he loses his wealth, uh, all of his possessions. He loses his health. And, and he's sitting on the garbage heap of the community, scraping the sores on his body. And his friends keep coming to him and saying, Job, you know, surely you, you must have done something to really tick God off that this would happen to you. And Job keeps maintaining, no, I, I haven't done anything. You know, I, I've been faithful to God throughout all this. I don't understand why this is happening. And his friends are offering him the easy kind of answers we often want to have well, you must have done something to make God mad or you must have done something to make God happy or something like this. And Job refuses to take the easy answers. Nah, I haven't done anything. I've been faithful. He refuses to take the easy answers. And he admits he doesn't understand it. I don't know why this is happening. I, I I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. His old paradigm and his old way of understanding things are gone. But he doesn't have a new way to do it yet. But even then, even in that moment when he is telling his friends, I'm I'm not going to take the easy answer, but I don't understand what's going on. He's going to make this assertion. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. You hear that? I, I trust. You know, even, even in this time, I know that my Redeemer is alive. I know that I'm going to see God. Not somebody else. I, I myself, I will see God and, and see Him face to face. And how my heart yearns for that moment. I mean, there's, there's just a tremendous honesty in the midst of that, and yet a tremendous hope. I mean, to be in this, this time of in-between is to be in a very uncomfortable place. Uh, and a place that can be scary, and a place that can produce anxiety. Um, you know, those bridges are, are just, I don't know about you, but they don't, they don't make me feel safe at all. But you, you can't go back, and, and we're not there yet. So all you can do is, is trust that God, who has built that bridge, knows what he's doing, and that God's going to hold you up and walk with you through that time. And, and that if you keep walking in that faith... God's going to lead you to someplace better. And it's that confidence in God, that confidence and trust in God that allows us to remain faithful, to remain faithful even as we wait for the sun to come, like watchmen who wait for the dawn. We go back to the psalm and we remember, I lack nothing. And we hold on to that even in the midst of a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, a time of waiting. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we, uh, we do not like waiting. Uh, we, we want to step from the old to the new right away. Uh, we want to know what's happening. We want to be in charge of things. We want to be back in control of our lives, and, uh, and we are certainly not in that time now. And we are uncomfortable with this. We are anxious. We are fearful. We find ourselves waking up at night wondering and worrying. So we ask you to come and surround us with your presence to remind us that even in this time, uh, you are the ones whose whose grace surrounds us. You are the one whose love uplifts us. That uh, this frightening bridge that we are walking over is one that you have put in place. And that we can trust you to hold us up as we put one foot in front of the other. And we can trust that you will bring us uh, once again to a place of goodness. So come and fill us with your love and fill us with your confidence. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.